over there. He had these rods of iron in the fire. And you'd see these rods of iron, I think. If I say anything wrong here, just correct me, Dan. Rods of fire in the, in, iron in the fire, and they would get really hot, and they would turn red. And then you'd take it out of the fire, and he would take his hammer, and he would begin to hit that rod of iron and shape it into a point. And then after he had shaped it to the point that he wanted, a, a nail head, okay, the nail point, he would snap it off, and then he would turn it over, and then he'd hit the head of it, and he would make a nail head. You'd have to make a nail that way. I mean, life, basically, back in the simpler times, as you call it, consisted of giving your life to work like that, making nails. So we got to build a building. So as John and I talked about, for the next two years, we're going to be making nails in preparation for this 10-year process to build a barn. Uh, so Dan, through fire, was forging this, uh, with other instruments, he was forging this nail and, and making it for its intended purpose. The purpose wasn't just to hit that nail and to hit that nail and to hit that nail to shape it. The purpose was to shape that nail, four-sided nail, which is how many times stronger than a circle nail, Dan? Is four times stronger than a circle nail. Was to, the intent was to, to make that and to forge that into its proper use. It's shaped by its maker for its intended use. And here's the reality of our lives, folks. God is continually shaping us. What seems random, confusing, uh, what seems completely out of the ordinary or quite extraordinary, is in fact God doing things in our lives. He is shaping us and molding us for His intended purpose. So it's boom. And it's not just for the hammer's sake. It's not just for cruelty, as we've been looking through the book of, of Genesis and discovering week in and week out. It's for a purpose. Okay, You matter. And God has a purpose in your life. And He is shaping you for that intended purpose. Because there's a bigger purpose in our life than our life. We exist for a greater purpose than God doing things for us. He is shaping us for His purposes. That's why we live and breathe. We live to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We, we don't exist for God to glorify us forever. We exist for us to glorify Him forever. So He is shaping us and changing us. He shapes us through healing or through withholding healing. He shapes us through financial gain and financial loss. He shapes us through trials, through kids, through fightings, and through fighting and through great, great victories. God is shaping us through all different sorts of things. But He's tender in this process. He's tender in this process. He's loving in this process. Even when it feels cruel, okay, He is tenderly building us and shaping us for His intended purposes. And uh, the life of Joseph is this training ground that we see for him. We get to see this training ground. And we see God building and preparing this man for his intended purposes. And hopefully through this, we get to see this. Okay, okay maybe it's not just Joseph. All right, maybe the things that I have gone through are not arbitrary. Okay, maybe they're not just incidental. Maybe they're not only the work of the enemy. Maybe God is tenderly behind the scenes making me into the type of person that can handle what he's about to bring my way. Or the type of person that can care for the wounded person who's about to stumble my way. What, what's he up to? He is shaping. He is working. So we get to pick up the story this morning when Joseph is 28 years old. He was sold into slavery. So for you mathematicians here, how many years after he'd been sold into slavery? 11. 11 years later. 
He had been living in slavery. And so we get to pick up this scene. And what we're going to see is in this story today, in chapter 41, 40 and 41, we're going to see four dreams dreamed by three people. We're going to see three interpretations, four dreams by three people. We're going to see three interpretations. And then we're going to get four, four um, takeaways, four takeaways. So three, four dreams, three interpretations, four takeaways. So four, three, four. Got it? Four, three, four. Okay, the setup. Chapter 40, verse 1 through 8. Some of these we're going to scan. Some of these we're going to read. We're going to read 1 through 8. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. So Joseph came to them in the morning when he saw that they were troubled, and he asked Pharaoh's, he asked, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We've had dreams. And there's no one to interpret them. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to the Lord? Please tell them to me. So the scene, the setup, is the Pharaoh, the king, is upset with his cupbearer and his baker. So he throws them into prison. And not just any old prison. The prison that's apparently connected with Potiphar's house. The prison that Joseph is in. The prison, the fact that Joseph is in charge of. He gets immediately put in charge of the Pharaoh, the king, his baker, and his cupbearer. And Joseph discerns something's going on. These dreams are not just normal dreams. You know the dreams that you dream that are just really, really weird? I had a dream the other night that Dan Hoy was a bouncer somewhere and he was busting some heads because people were getting... Just a weird dream, but you can see that about Dan. Like He kind of looks like a guy that could be that. Um, and uh, you know, dreams sometimes, there's no necessarily interpretation to offer. You just wake up and you think, well, that's weird. You shrug them off and you go about your day. But this dream, these dreams, were troubling. And Joseph discerns. Notice the tender care of Joseph, a prisoner for another prisoner. It's interesting that care and empathy isn't completely withered away in the man Joseph in prison. He shows empathy and care for the people that are around him, and he recognizes they're hurting. Hey, cupbearer, baker, what's going on? And they tell him, wait, we've had troubling dreams. Joseph responds back, hey, it's not that I know about these dreams and I can figure out these dreams, but I know that God knows the answers to everything and he can tell you about these dreams through me. So why don't you just tell me, what's going on? Tell me about these dreams. Was it a weird dream that you can just kind of shrug your shoulders and walk off? Or is this some serious and prophetic dream? So he asked, tell me the dream. Well, the baker and the cupbearer proceed to tell the dream, starting with the cupbearer. Verse 9 through 15. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. And the three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly 
when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. So here's the dream. Three, there was a vine with three branches. The branches budded and immediately blossoms shot out. Clusters began to ripen and all of a sudden there are grapes on the shoots that come from the branches. Pharaoh's cup was in the cupbearer's hand and he took the grapes from from the, from the clusters that were on the branches, and he put it into and crushed them into the cup, and then he handed the cup to Pharaoh. Joseph, through the wisdom that God had given him, said, oh yeah, this is easy. This is easy. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be a great outcome. The three baskets, three days. You're not going to be here long, cupbearer. And if you're in prison and you hear that your sentence is only three more days, you're probably pretty excited. I've never been, been in prison. I have been arrested before, unfortunately. And probably shouldn't have said that, but... Um, it was for a $10 parking ticket that I didn't know I had in Tennessee. It was two years prior. Crazy. Anyways, there, I, that's not in my notes. I promise you, that is not in my notes. But, uh, but anyways, uh, getting out of there, even after the... Prince, you know, you put your thumbs down there. If you've been arrested before, you know what it means to get out of prison. But you put your thumb, thumbprints down, you get your mug shots, you're, you ask if you know about any of the murders that are on the wall. No, I don't. And uh, my buddy posted, posted Bond, and you know what? It was joy walking out of there. I was only in there for an hour, so this is a long time ago. But I imagine this cupbearer, considering the life that was ahead of him, or the lack thereof, hearing from Joseph, you got three days. I bet you he was elated. So, what happens? Well, it happens. We'll find out here in a little bit, just as Joseph said. But first, because the dream was so favorably interpreted, the baker's thinking, I want to get in on this. So Joseph, can you tell me my dream as well? Joseph says, tell me the dream. Well, he does. Verse 16, the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Hmm. If I was the baker, I would have thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't ask you to interpret that dream for me. The dream, well, um, three baskets on his head. Top basket contained a bunch of baked goods, and the birds were eating the bread from the basket. The interpretation, another three days. But Pharaoh's going to lift up your head, and unfortunately, Baker, he's going to put a rope where you don't want it to go. And the birds are going to come and do what birds do. And Baker, it's not going to go well for you. Well, 20 through 23 tell us the outcome. It happened just as Joseph said. Just as Joseph said. And he has his opportunity. Because although the baker didn't get let out, the cupbearer did. 
And he had requested from the cupbearer, hey, when it happens this way, when you get out, please kind of throw me a bone here and tell the Pharaoh what I did for you and that I'm in here and I shouldn't be in here. I'm an innocent man. And maybe I'll get out. This is his chance. In fact, in verse 23, we find even though he had his chance, the cupbearer would forget. Verse 23, yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, talk about being deflated. It happens just as you said it would. And you're thinking, maybe the cupbearer is going to tell. And maybe any day now, I'm going to get out of here. And you just sit there and you wait. The cupbearer forgets Joseph has to wait longer in prison. Uh, the up and downness of Joseph's life, Joseph's life is quite astounding. Some of you have lived quite consistent lives. You've done the same thing since you got out of high school, the same thing since you got out of college. Um, things lived in the same house since you were, as long as you can remember, your life has been very consistent. And that's a good, it's not a noble thing, and a great thing because that's what God has had for you. And He designs the places that we live. And for some of us, the challenges that life brings come from the consistency of our life. And the challenge of, of getting out of the mold of the same thing I've always done. And not that we have to do different things, but sometimes we can get in a rut spiritually because our life is just so similar. And then for others... Life is all over the map, and you'd like the consistency that you see in your brothers and sisters, the life that you, that you observe around you. You'd like some of that, but your life has been more of a roller coaster. It's been up, and it's been down. Joseph's life has been much like that. It's been all over the place. I mean, imagine Joseph's resume. <laughs> it really wouldn't be one to, to look at or to read. Uh, he's been everywhere, and yet this man who couldn't get a job based on his resume has been successful in everything that he's done, even though he was a slave and in prison. It's interesting the way God works. But Joseph thought he had the chance, his chance, and all of a sudden, it's gone. He sits there for another two years. That's how chapter 41, verse 1, opens up after two whole years. Now, two dreams by two people. Okay, this is the backdrop of chapter 41. Because we're watching Joseph's rise from prison to the palace. So with the backdrop of chapter 40, we get into 41 and all of a sudden Pharaoh's having dreams. And he's confused. And everything in chapter 41, 40 is going to come rushing back to the cupbearer. And the cupbearer is going to be like, oh, I, oh my gosh, I forgot about this man, Joseph. We read about it starting in verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Behold... There come out of the Nile seven cows attractive, seven plump and plump. They fed in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up seven attractive cow, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, Seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on the stock, on one stock. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the sun, by the, or excuse me, by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. Pharaoh woke. Behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. 
And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was none who could interpret Pharaoh's, interpret them to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh has a problem. He's troubled in his spirit. He calls all the magicians. He calls all the wise men. And they cannot figure it out. The dreams are, to be fair, a little confusing. The first dream... Out of the Nile, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. The skinny cows eat the fat cows. The next dream, okay, seven ears of grain, plump and good. Seven ears of thin and blighted grain that are blighted by the wind. And the seven ears eat up the seven plump ears. The seven weak ones eat up the seven plump ones. So the wise men and the magicians really are, are brought an impossible task. Because really, dream work is guesswork at best. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, again, the comedy in our dreams is so funny. We'll be mowing the yard as we're preaching, and we don't understand how those two things can go together, but in a dream it makes total sense. How can you be mowing the yard and preaching on a Sunday morning at the same time? Dreams don't make a lot of sense sometimes. So the magicians and the wise men, they... They had a hard job that was in front of them. Pharaoh saying, hey, tell me what these mean. Well, like I said, the cupbearer has a light bulb moment. In verses 9 through 13, it tells us about it. And my uh, version is, he says, oh yeah, I forgot about Joseph. He can interpret dreams. Everything that happened in chapter 40 gets brought into chapter 41. The cupbearer remembers well, he tells Pharaoh about this, and Pharaoh's ears perk up. He gets excited, and what does he do? Well, naturally, he says, go get Joseph. Go get him. Go get Joseph. In 14 through 24, that's exactly what he does. It's interesting because the word comes to Joseph. Remember, he had been there for two more years, so Joseph now is 28 plus 2? 30. Joseph is now 30 years old in prison. He's 30 years old. He gets word from the messenger that Pharaoh wants him, and what's he do? He cleans up real quick. Well, I'm going to get together, I'm going to get everything, I'm going to shave, and get looking good. In verse 14, the Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They quickly brought him out of the pit, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. And I've heard it said that of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable, favorable answer. So he gives Pharaoh the dream. Excuse me, gives Joseph the dream. So he tells him the whole thing, goes through the, the whole thing, tells him the two dreams, excuse me, and then Joseph brings back an interpretation in verses 25 through 26. Again, to abbreviate, let me just tell you the interpretation. The two dreams, Joseph said, were in fact one dream. Okay? The cows and the grain. It's one dream. And Joseph tells him this. The skinny cows and the blighted ears are seven years of famine. So this dream is prophetic. It's telling you about the future, Pharaoh. Here's what's going to happen. For seven years... Okay, for seven years, something is going to happen. Seven years of plenty, and then the dream means because of the skinny cows coming and eating 
the fat cows and the bad grain coming and eating the good grain. It, it means that seven years of severe famine are going to follow the seven years of plenty. So sorry, the first seven years are going to be seven years of plenty and the next seven are going to be seven years of famine. And so in 33 through 36, Joseph dares to make a suggestion to Pharaoh. Read the suggestion starting in verse 33. Now therefore, Pharaoh, select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now, let's just pause. I wonder if he has himself in mind <laughs> as he says this. You know, I wonder if he says this and he's thinking, oh, please let it be me. <laughs> I've been discerning and wise here, Pharaoh. Please just let it be me. Put me in charge over the land. Anyways, a little bit of conjecture there, but fun nonetheless. Therefore, Pharaoh selected a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food for these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. There's 36. That food shall be a reserve for all the land against the seven years of famine that occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Okay, so we're at this point, we're at a point of transition because Joseph is here in a second, he's going to be raised to power. But first, I want us to remember Joseph's plight. Let's remember Joseph's difficulty. Let's go back and let's think about it. Remember that Joseph was loved by his father. His dad loved him. If you're in here and you're blessed to have a good relationship with your father, uh, count that, just count that as a blessing. There's so many men that don't. There's just there's tension between fathers and sons. And this situation was one that Joseph and his father, Jacob, had a good relationship. He loved his father, Israel. He was loved by his father, but unfortunately he was hated by his brothers. And so there's some sadness in the story. He's given dreams. Remember the dreams? Okay, it's not too long ago we were talking about those dreams, about his family bowing down to him. And his family didn't take to those dreams very kindly. In fact, they were frustrated by it. After Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors, the brothers were very, very envious, and they were, in fact, murderous. So they grab Joseph to kill him, but instead of killing him, they threw him into the pit and then sold him to a group of traveling Ishmaelites. He was kicking and screaming. It was sad. It was difficult. He was begging for his very life, but they sold him anyways. As a servant, after he was sold to Potiphar, he was raised up in Potiphar's house, and things began to be better. He was still a servant, but things at least were somewhat good. Um, he had plenty. He was in charge of many, many things. In fact, uh, uh, Potiphar treated him basically like he was equal to himself. He kept nothing from Joseph except for his wife. And then Potiphar's wife would go throw Joseph under the bus. In his life, up to this point, to the point now that he's 30, as he is reflecting back on his life, seems incoherent. Random and inconsistent at best. Okay, most of our lives aren't as scattered as Joseph's life. And some of ours do seem that way. These are consistent themes we come back to from week to week here recently. But each step of the way, God is doing something. If you can make a better hammer sound, it's welcome. Or wait, wait, wait. He's doing something in Joseph. 
And God is making Joseph successful through it all. A successful person is not defined by his position, but his posture. And Joseph's posture through this whole process has been one of willing submission to the Lord. Even through difficulty, he is wanting to follow the Lord and he is recognizing that God is at at work in him. He's already told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, it's not going to be me who tells you your dream. It's going to be the Lord. Do you hear the humility in that? He could have easily taken the credit for the work that he had already done in the prison. No, I'm the one. Pharaoh, I got this. I can tell you your dream. Please, I am the one. Look, I got this. But what's he do? He deflects. I, I don't. It's God. You see, Joseph's posture through this whole thing is one of deferring to God and his purposes. And this is what success is in the Christian life. It's not a matter of position, but a posture. And what is your posture before the Lord? Is it one of pride, arrogance? Is it one of, um, what is it when you uh, believe you, it's, people say kids have this these days when they think that everything should come to them? Entitlement. Is it one of entitlement? Or is it one of humility and submission to the Lord? God, do with me what you want. Not what I want, because I want position, I want power. What do you want for me? God is going to put Joseph in a position of power, but it's through this process. He's working and making Joseph into the man he needs him, not needs him, but wants him to be. And so let's take a look. What does God do with Joseph? Look at verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom there is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are, so you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph gets appointed. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of everything. Only Pharaoh would have greater power than him. And now talk about an unlikely path to worldly, what everyone would define as success. Talk about an unlikely path to power. Pharaoh makes it official in verses 41 through 45. He takes a signet ring. And then the Pharaoh puts himself puts garments on Joseph, new garments. This whole garment theme continues with Joseph. Puts on garments, and this garment won't get him thrown into the pit, pit, thrown him into the pit, but it will identify him as chosen by the king. If he has the proper garments and the proper signet, people recognize that man is chosen of the king. He has authority. Joseph, in verse 45, gets an Egyptian identity because the Pharaoh changes his name and then gives him an Egyptian wife. So, things change, and now he has an Egyptian identity, at least on the external, uh, in the external view. He's got the proper clothing, he has the look, he has the position, he has power. And we find that, jo- that Pharaoh did make the right decision because everything goes according to how Joseph said it would go. 
In verse 46 through 49, we find that Joseph was clearly the right man for the job. And in 46, verse 46, we see this interesting little verse that we see a Jesus connection here. In verse 46, it says this, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Isn't it fascinating that at 30, the same age that Jesus gets brought into public ministry, here is Joseph in service of the king. He was just clothed in power as Jesus was clothed in power. The power, the very power of the Holy Spirit. You see this Christ connection. But we see in 46-49 that Joseph serves and leads well. He does what's needed to be done. The rest of the chapter we get some fill in some details. In verse 50-52 to we find that Joseph becomes a dad. It's interesting. He becomes a dad. He has his opportunity to name his children. And we see some information that we'll talk about here in a second. He names his children intentional names. He names them not names from Egypt, but names from his clansmen, names of the people of God, not Egyptian names. And then we're left with a cliffhanger in verses 53 through 57. The famine is so bad. And the world starts to come to Egypt, and they therefore come to Joseph for help. And who in the world will need help from Joseph? Cliffhanger. We'll get to it. Let's talk about, from these two chapters, four takeaways. We're going to go through them real quick. Four takeaways. I'll read through them, and then we'll go through them slowly. Uh, Well, I just said quick and then slow. That doesn't go together, but we'll go through them. Number one. Our giftings and abilities come from God, not ourselves. So I want you to think about what you're good at in this life. Okay. Secondly, God's timing is different than our timing. Almost all of us in here know that, but for some reason we forget it when we want something now. Three, Joseph was built for power. He's building us for power. Four, Joseph did not misplace his true identity as a child of God. So we're going to look at identity. First, our giftings and abilities come from God, not from ourselves. In verse 40, chapter 40, verse 8, and then in chapter 41, verse 16, Joseph does this two times. He gives credit to the Lord for his abilities. Joseph is the one who rightly interpreted, both for the cupbearer and the baker, dreams. Again, dream interpretation is very, very hard. You can say some off-the-wall things trying to figure out your dreams. Okay? Joseph rightly interprets them, but he tells the baker and he tells the cupbearer that interpretations belong to God, not to him. This is not inherent within him. This isn't just Joseph who walks around with the ability to know dreams. His abilities come from God. And then to Pharaoh, when he had this reputation already that had come all the way to the ears of Pharaoh... He gives glory, as we previously stated, to God, that God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It is not in me. Now, if you're wanting to get out of the prison, this is the prime example, like I said, to say, it is in me. But Joseph defers. This is a prime time to showcase himself. But no, he doesn't do it, because he says, and he rightly knows, it's from the Lord. God had made Joseph humble. Now, it's a good exercise every once in a while to ask somebody around you, am I a proud man 
you're a woman, am I a proud woman? Because we basically all buy into our own humility. Pride is one of those things that we don't see. Okay? But especially if we're growing in areas of humility, we see all the areas that we're growing in humility. And we want our spouses to see it too. And we want people around us to see it too. In fact, we'll start boasting in our humility until they do recognize it. It's a good thing every once in a while to ask, are you proud or are you humble? God had made Joseph humble. Our giftings and abilities come from God, not ourselves. This is the way with spiritual gifts. It's the way with natural gifts. Who are you? What do you like? James and Brittany, I'm looking at you guys. You guys like music. It's a gift from the Lord. So when you use that for the Lord's purposes, that's, this is what you're designed to do. It's awesome. What are you good at? Well, your hobbies. Most people don't get to do their make their hobbies their work. What are you good at? Well, it is the Lord's work in you. It's not inherent within you. Second, second takeaway from our passage, God's timing is different than our timing. In chapter 40, verse 14, we find that Joseph wanted to get out of this pit. He says this, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of here. Joseph wants out of the, pl- out of the prison. God has other plans. No, two more years. Two more years. Two more years. Not yet. So our timing is different than God's timing. And as we sing a song that we sing here, it was, I think the very first week we gathered here, uh, January the 16th or the 20, January the 24th of 2016, Sovereign Over Us. There's a line in there, Andy. He is working in our waiting. Okay, I won't sing the rest of you. I'll spare you. He is working in the waiting, in our waiting, I believe it is. In the two years, God is still working on Joseph. It is a scary thing for a person to rise up in power who doesn't yet have the character to handle it. And for those two years, Joseph is continuing to be forged. God's timing is different than our timing. Please know that. Three, he is building Joseph's... I could have worded this better. He's building Joseph for power. He's preparing him for power. Verse 41, chapter 41, verse 40, excuse me. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you, Pharaoh says to Joseph. God was building Joseph into that kind of person who could handle that position. It's hard to have power and use it to serve rather than bully. It's very hard. It takes godly character to have power and not be a bully. If position comes to you, in your life, where you have more power than you currently have over people, if you get a kingdom of sorts, how are you going to use that power? Joseph used his power to prepare people to live through famine. He immediately got to work for the good of other people. What was he doing, and what he was doing may not have made sense to those people, but he was living in such a way that it would provide for thousands and thousands of people. He was living, he was using his power for the good of others. And so it's another question we need to ask. Do you more often think about the things that you want or the things that other people need? Because Joseph could have used those years to live a lavish lifestyle for himself. But he used it for the good of other people. Do you more often think about what, what you want out of life 
or you want right now, or about what other people need. How are you wielding the power that God has given you? We have a lot to learn from Joseph. Four, the fourth takeaway slash observation is that Joseph did not misplace his true identity as God's child. I find this massively fascinating. Joseph was given money, fame, and power from Pharaoh. Money, fame, and power. It's what we want in this world, most people. Money, fame, power, recognition. Egypt, he had turned the corner in Egypt. Egypt was treating Joseph pretty well. He even got a new Egyptian name and a new wife. But those kids, when he names those kids, something interesting happens. He names his children Manasseh and Ephraim. Both Israel, Jacob, his father, and their clan, their family. It was, an, uh, it was a name identifying himself with his father Jacob and not with the land of Egypt. Joseph's identity, and in fact, in, in, in verse 52, look at this real quick and we'll be done. Verse 52, as he names, his, the names of his kids, in verse 52 he says this, The name of the second he called Ephraim, and here's why. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He calls the land of his affliction Egypt. He had been living for these years, okay, living well, and he calls it the land of the affliction in Egypt. This is not his home. His identity has not been wrapped up in Egypt. But it was rooted in being in the family of the people of God. Israel was his father and Yahweh was his God. So this is identity pieces. Joseph's death then is going to reveal his identity again. In chapter 50, verse 25, I want you to see this. This is so neat. In Genesis 50, verse 25, I thought I had the last verse earlier, but I didn't. Here's, here it is. I'll just read it. Verse 25. Then Joseph made his sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph didn't want to be buried in Egypt. Oh no. That wasn't his home. It was in the land of his father that he would be buried. And you know what? About 400 years later, he would be. His bones would be carried home. And he would not be buried. He was God's child. That was his identity. It wasn't Egypt. It wasn't the fame. It wasn't the fortune. It wasn't the power. That was the land of affliction. What mattered to him? He was God's. Now, beloved... I use the word beloved intentionally. Here's the reality. No matter what you have or you don't have, here's your identity. You're God's. You're sons and daughters. That's who you are. People can have their money, their fame, their fortunes. Oh, to enjoy sonship. To be God's. And that's what you are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get to be yours.